This Valentine's Day, Dunkin's got the perfect pairings to show your love. So get down on one knee with a dozen brownie batter donuts and a cocoa mocha signature latte. Or make them swoon with a strawberry dragon fruit Dunkin' refresher with a Cupid's Choice Donut. Are you ready for love? America runs on Dunkin'. Price and participation may vary. Limited time offer. Do you want to learn how to manage your own investments? Are you ready to stop paying investment management fees and start building wealth? The DIY Investing Podcast is dedicated to providing you with the knowledge, skills, and resources you need to be a better investor. Learn how to make investments through the use of fundamental analysis, mental models, and business management insights. Now, here's your host, value investing expert, Trey Henninger. Hello and welcome to episode 9 of the DIY Investing Podcast. My name is Trey Henniger and I'm your host. In today's episode, I will be discussing first principles. First principles are a critical mental model for you to understand if you want to be successful investing. You see, most people don't make decisions based upon facts and reality. And this is a major handicap for those people. And yet, the world of investing in personal finance is unforgiving. You only, the only way to succeed in the long run is to manage your financial affairs by aligning your actions with fact-based decision-making. There are specific concrete actions which you can take as an investor to improve the odds of your financial success. They are based on the reality of how things work. These are facts backed up by data. These are the first principles of personal finance and investing, and only by learning them and applying them to create and implement an investing strategy can you be sure that your investment plan will actually move you in the direction of success. One of my goals with this podcast series is to outline many of the first principles of personal finance and investing that I use to create my own investment strategy. I believe they are useful starting points for you as well. Now, I'll give a brief outline of what I'll approach in this episode. So I'm going to begin first with an overview of first principles, in addition to what I kind of already covered, discuss how they affect wisdom, investing, um, the alternative ways to thinking. I'll touch on humility, and as well as two really good analogies that I've heard um, that describe first principles that could really develop your understanding of what we're talking about here. And then finally, I'll, fo- I'll end with a discussion of strategy of how you can use these first principles to be successful investing and really the focus areas you're looking for as we discuss what the first principles are. Okay, let's dive right in. So first and foremost, we need to discuss what a first principle is. Um, and there's quite a few different variations on a definition, but I'm going to walk through each of them and hope that it allows you to have an understanding really what we're trying to get to. So Shane Parrish has a nice um, definition that he posts on his blog, the Farnham Street blog. And his definition is that a first principle 
and I quote, is a first principle is a foundational proposition or assumption that stands alone. We cannot deduce first principles from any other proposition or assumption, end quote. So that's a good definition. What it's really talking about is just what are these things, these principles that underlie our reality, that underlie how things work. And and you're really trying to dig down to the very bottom. What are these root causes and effects of the world? And so the, one of the ways I think about it is that first principles are things which can be proven to be true. So there's stuff that you can set your understanding on and build up. Um, alternatively, there are things that which have thus far failed to disprove. So one of the cornerstones of science and scientific theories is that it's incredibly difficult to prove something. You can only disprove a scientific theory. So the strongest scientific theories are those who have had the most ideas and thought thrown against them and yet have failed to be disproved. But what we're really looking for in first principles is not a pure scientific basis, but really looking as the strongest things that you can build your understanding upon. So it's not to say that there couldn't possibly ever be something that could go against them, but what you're trying to do is with all the knowledge you have to date and with everything you currently understand, what is something that can be proven to be true without any underlying assumption? There's no assumption it's based upon. You ha- there's evidence backing this up. And you've not been able to falsify it. And so one way to think about how first principles are used in science is that, you know, they're really the building blocks that everything else is built upon. So for instance, in chemistry, you have the elements such as oxygen, nitrogen, hydrogen. And these elements are your first principles for chemistry because Everything else is built from these elements. You build molecules from combinations of elements you build, which allow you to have reactions. And those reactions and molecules combined together create organisms. And we are organisms. We're very complex, but at the very root, you're just made up of different elements of carbon, oxygen, nitrogen, hydrogen. For instance, water is just made up of hydrogen and oxygen. And Water combines with other materials to build up even larger molecules and organisms. So, but the key part is all you really have to understand about chemistry is understanding how each of these elements work and interact with each other. And if you understand those first principles, if you understand how oxygen atoms work, how nitrogen atoms work, how hydrogen atoms work, then you can build up from there and your understanding grows from a firm, strong foundation. And everything else above it is dependent upon your original principles of what oxygen does as being correct. And so it's really key to understand you know, the true basics before you build anything on top of that. And that's really what we're trying to do here with our investing and financial plan. We need to understand the true first principle drivers of what it means to be successful investor. What are the true first principle drivers of what it means to be a successful in personal finance? What does it mean? How, what are the drivers of wealth building? And that's what I'm really going to focus on in this series is I'm trying to 
dig deep and find those root basics because if you understand those basics, you can develop your own financial plan on top of it. I'll walk through kind of what I'm doing myself, but really we're trying to reach and understand, okay, what is true? What are the underlying principles which we can build our entire investment plan around? And if you understand that, you'll understand everything you need to know about investing. All the little tactical pieces, like in my last episode, should you know, should we have a traditional or a Roth IRA or, or, or you know, should I put money in my 401k this year? Should I build up my emergency fund? All those little decisions at the root, they're all based upon certain first principles of investing in personal finance. The key is if, if you know those first principles, you don't even need to ask the question because it should be obvious. So that kind of gives your basic overview of what we're looking for in these first principles. So let me discuss a little bit about wisdom. First principles go well beyond the world of investing um, and personal finance. These are things which will allow you to build wisdom. Wise people are those who have a good understanding of how the world truly works. So as you seek to build wisdom, you're trying to understand all the possibilities there are in life, business, investing, personal relationships, um, you know, philosophy, economics, science. By understanding how everything integrates together and how stuff actually works, you know, this is a key concept in, in just discussing mental models in general, but trying to build that wisdom not only allows you to be a better investor and to build wealth, it also allows you to be a better person, to better understand how relationships work. And these things reinforce each other. You get a positive benefit going both ways. And it's why, you know, in addition to trying to be a successful investor, I'm also trying to build wisdom in myself, to be wise and to make smart, effective, prudent decisions. So just wanted to have that little tidbit on wisdom because I think it's a critical part of where you will see first principles discussed uh, in other places. But it's just to show that this is not exclusive to investing. This is not exclusive to personal finance. And it goes across boundaries of disciplines. And that is both a benefit and a curse because it'll allow you to understand different things that you hadn't thought about before. But it also means that it's a very expansive process. You got to constantly be seeking out new first principles, trying to disprove the ones you have, and trying to build a better understanding about the world. And by doing so, you're going to steadily compound your knowledge and understanding, and that's going to make you a better investor. So let's tie it directly into investing then. So in, in, you know, with respect to investing, first principles are basically analogous to the rules of the investing environment. So what are the drivers? What are the things that, you know, what are your boundary conditions that allow investing to be successful? So you're talking, you know, what are your minimum and maximum rates of return? What are your um, drivers of investment success? How do you make money? What does it mean to have wealth? What does it mean to own shares of a company? Like what are these basic understandings that, wrap around the whole investing environment. Because if you understand the boundary conditions, you'll also understand what you're allowed to do and what 
you're not allowed to do. And so if you only focus on the stuff that makes sense and falls within certain boundaries, you're going to be more successful. You're going to eliminate waste of your time, energy, thought processes, but also having a knowledge of these rules, including their second and third order effects, is critical to becoming a successful investor. Because if you don't understand the rules of building wealth, how can you be successful? I mean, there's always a chance, random chance, that just by throwing something up against the wall, eventually something's going to stick. Well, sure. So, But do you want to take random chance or do you want to understand the rules and just go straight to the area and straight to the material that you know is going to stick against the wall? You know, why use something out of randomly when the rules are very apparent? And we can just seek and discover these rules, these first principles of investing in personal finance. They've been talked about for decades, centuries, millennia. And these principles are stuff that you'll be able to apply each and every day, each and every year to continuously become more and more successful. And so that's really what I want to highlight because these are principles that go across time and area of expertise. So you can learn things about real estate investing that applies to stock investing, that applies to bond investing, that applies to investing in your local um, car dealership. All of these principles can apply against across multiple disciplines. So you don't need to be, you know, a real estate investor to understand some aspects about how real estate investors make their money. You can learn about things like leverage and learn about uh, synthetic equity and learn about how the growth of value over time has both inflation and non-inflation components. And these aspects of understanding that the way you make money in investments is the same no matter what the investment is, it is really helpful because those drivers allow you to put new things that you learn quickly into a box that's like, hey, this is how investments work. And if you understand that, you'll always be able to look at new companies, new stocks, new bonds, and quickly assess them because you'll be able to say, okay, well, you know, if I want to make money off of this stock, I can earn money from dividends. I can earn money from selling at a higher price. You know, I'm getting money back in two different ways there. So if I know that that's how I can make money off stocks, I can also make money that way off bonds. I can also make that money off a house. If I buy a house and rent it out, I'm going to be making money off the rent, but I'm also going to be making money if I end up selling that house at a higher price later. So you can see how these things cross go across boundaries. Now, that kind of covers in general how first principles apply to investing. But I want to talk about some other ways of thinking because what you're probably what you're probably thinking at this point is like, okay, that makes sense. Let's use first principles to think about things. But what you might not realize is that often you might fall into these other traps, these other ways of thinking that aren't first principle based, but they're very commonly used. And it's very easy to think in ways that aren't based on first principles. And it's very difficult and energy, mental energy expensive to think in terms of first principles. So one way of, you know, thinking about 
things in a way that isn't first principle based would be, you know, basically what you could call so-and-so said so. So it's like, well, why is that? It's like, well, my mom said so. My dad said so. Um, Well, why is that? It's like, well, that so-and-so could be many different people. So it could be parents, it could be God, it could be history, could be conventional wisdom or Wikipedia. You know, I read it on the internet, so it must be true. You know, Wikipedia said this, therefore it must be true. Or, you know, cultural, it is culturally acceptable to do this, therefore it must be the best way to do it. Or my teacher said so. You know, why do we have to do that? Well, because I said so. So if, it, if whatever you are doing can fall back to someone said so, you're not thinking in terms of first principles. This is more what's called dogma. So it's like there's a dogma printed rule book that you're following. You have this list of rules that said, and you don't necessarily know the root cause of why. And if you can't know the root cause of why, then you're not thinking in terms of first principles. And this can be very dangerous with investing because when you invest your money, you're putting your hard-earned money on the line. And you want to know that your decision-making is based on first principles and not just because someone said so. So if you think that diversification helps you with investing and that by diversifying your investments, you're going to be, be better, do you know if that's a first principle? Or is that because someone told you that diversification provides benefits? Or does buying an index fund, is that a proper way to make money because someone told you so or because it's based upon a first principle? These are the things that you need to think about because a lot of times we'll take these just standard norms, culture that, you know, recently passive investing has been very huge. People are investing in index funds, ETFs. Um, using apps like Robinhood to get low fees on some of their investments. And it's all based upon, you know, someone told them that this is the way to go about things. That, well, ETFs are good because my friend said so. Or ETFs are good because I read it on CNBC. It's not that ETFs can't be good. And it's not that index funds can't be good. And it's not that diversification can't be good. But you need to know what the first principle is that drives that decision. Or the idea that stocks are riskier than bonds. This is what one of my first episodes was was talking about. Was, okay, stocks are riskier than bonds. Why? If you can ask, if if there's a reason, a need to answer, ask why. And to find out an underlying assumption. Then it's not a first principle. So you need to keep digging down the why train. Now this is where... You know, if you're a parent, you've probably heard this many times as you ha- you deal with the, the why game where you get asked questions by your kids over and over again. It's like, well, why do I have to do that? Why? Well, why is that? Why is that? Why is that? And you just continue on the game forever. It's like, okay, well, we need food. Why? Well, because we're hungry. Why are we hungry? It's like, well, your body needs food. You know, and you kind of go down the, and if you don't eat, you know, you're going to die. It's like, well, why is that? And so you got to go down this chain until you get the true um, meaning that, you know, energy is required to do work. That's the underlying first principles of why we have to eat as humans, because everything we do requires energy and food provides us that energy. Now there's not an underlying assumption beyond energy is required to do work. 
and that comes from physics. But if and physics, chemistry, but basic science principle that energy is required to do work. And that underlines all this thing of why we eat food. But most people don't think about that because they actually stop at one of the previous levels. Well, if we don't eat, we would die. Okay, but that's not a first principle. There's an underlying reason. So what you're trying to do with first principle thinking is always get to the underlying reason because if you understand the underlying reason, you'll be better able to make decisions. So another aspect of kind of this, you know, so-and-so said something, said for you to do that is kind of this like tribal way of thinking. So this is, you know, in in the words of Seth Godin, quote, people like us do stuff like this, end quote. And really what this is saying is that, you know, we need to conform to some sort of tribe or group identity or, you know, People like me use Instagram, or people like me um, listen to rap music, or people like me listen to country music, or people like me go and see superhero movies. All of these things are related to tribes. You're related to things that you do because you're part of an overarching group, or you identify yourself as a member of a larger group. And if you're part of this larger group, you end up potentially resulting in this tribal thinking. It's like, well, you start making decisions on autopilot that aren't necessarily in some of your best interest. Sometimes they are, sometimes they aren't. The key is not the individual decision, but the reason behind that decision and the results behind that decision that can be both good or bad by using a tribal thinking. What we're trying to do And why this really ties into investing is to get away from tribal thinking because at least with your personal finances and with investing, this can really hurt you. So there are times where investing in index funds has worked out incredibly well. If you're investing in index funds during March 2009, when the market was at at a a very low point, that worked out really well for you because you spent nine years since then steadily going up in prices. Okay, but if you had invested in index funds in 2007 at the high, you also had your the value of your investments drop significantly into 2009. Now, the same decision had drastically different results because the timeframes were different and the prices for those assets were different, but the assets were the same. And the methodology of investing was the same. The key was, is both times you're investing as a tribe saying, hey, people like me use index funds to invest. Okay, there can be good and bad cases where that turns out. You need to understand the underlying reasons why you're investing in index funds, why you're doing that. Because if you don't, you may or may not be making the right decision for you and for your situation. And so it's really useful to understand that these tribes apply to all sorts of things. It's not just what you do um, in, you know, your entertainment. It might be, you know, okay, well, I tithe my money because people like me who go to church tithe their money. Okay, so that's one tribal thinking. Or I volunteer on the weekends because I'm a good person and good people volunteer. Okay. That's a tribal thinking. It's not that these things aren't good or these things aren't right, but they're originating from this tribal thinking. 
And you can still reach that conclusion that that's what you want to do, but you need to base it upon what is the first principle behind that? It's like, well, I want to help people and helping people is a good in its own right. Okay, that's a better reason. So it's not just like I help people because people like me help people. It's like, no, you need to go down to the underlying reason that you're basing your decisions on. And you really need to understand that because only by digging deeper will you be able to make better decisions. Now, let's take a step back now and really think about what we've been discussing here. A lot of what I'm saying on first principles is making the argument that you can know exactly what is right and true in the world in all cases. And so we really need to take a step step back and be humble and think about humility. Um, because although our first principles are based upon data and our conclusions that we make and the decisions we make are based upon reasoning from those first principles, it is paramount that we recognize the potential failing of our own theories and methodology. You know, see, if you want to be successful in using first principles, we must also be humble in seeking always to disprove the first principles that we have adopted. You see, they're the weak point. If you're basing your thinking on tribal thinking, right? Well, then the weak point is the tribe. If the tribe is correct, then you're correct. If the tribe is wrong, then you're wrong. But if the weak, but if you're basing your decisions based upon first principles, then your first principles are the weak point. If you prove those first principles wrong, or if they're not correct, then we must then adjust all of our decisions that are based upon those and adapt accordingly. You know, Tim, Tim Urban uses the words unjustified certainty. And, and I think this really fits because you really don't know as much as you think you know, and neither does anyone else. Because what happens is, there's things that you've grown up knowing and you might not know where you know that from. Like you, you grow up knowing that, you know, we live on earth and that the sun, you know, we revolve around the sun and the, the earth is circular. It's like, well, it's not really perfectly spherical, but, it, but you think of it that way and you think about, okay, well, maybe you're going in a perfect circle around the sun. It's like, oh, that's not exactly true either. It's like, well, there's this certainty that you have about things. And the key is to understand why those things really happen because sometimes you're not exactly correct. So I have this really good quote from Steve Jobs, which I want to share. And I think it's really recognizes humility as a key aspect. So here it is, quote, when you grow up, you tend to get told the world is the way it is and your life is just to live the life to live your life inside the world. Try not to bash into the walls too much. Try to have a nice family life, have fun, save a little money. That's a very limited life. Life can be much broader once you discover one simple fact, and that is, everything around you that you call life was made up by people that were no smarter than you. And you can change it. You can influence it. You could build your own things that other people can use. Once you learn that, you'll never be the same again, end quote. So really what this thing is that all of these supposed truths that we have, not all of them, but most of the ones that we've gained have come because we've been told by someone that something is true. And we may not really understand why it's true, 
or it might not even be true at all because we're relying on these external pieces of authority that is providing this information. And yet what you've essentially done is memorized a fact, memorized by rote memorization, something to be true, but you've stopped before you've reached true understanding. And this is really the big risk that you have both in life and in investing, where you take a principle that you believe to be true, and yet you really don't understand why. And that's probably because you've not yet reached the bottom assumption. You've not yet reached the, the first principle of that concept that's really the driving force for the truth. And that's where you can get into trouble. Because if you don't know that underlying concept, your understanding might be not correct. So I want to dive in to something that I think is is really key here that Tim Urban talks about. And his this is his formula for success. And it's basically that humility plus confidence minus fear equals success. And really, we're talking about humility here. But the other piece is confidence. And and by truly understanding these first principles, we're going to be ha- able to have the ability to gain confidence in our understanding of the world and confidence in our investment decisions. So there's two key areas that I want to discuss that I think are good analogies for understanding what it means to use first principle thinking versus analogy type thinking. And one comes from Tim Urban, who I've already discussed a little bit, and the other one comes from Farnham Street Blog by Shane Parrish. And so let me dive straight into those. So the first analogy is from Tim Urban, and it's what he calls the cook versus the chef. And basically, there are many cooks out there, and there are many chefs, but and both of them are creating food from raw ingredients. But they're doing it in very different manners. So when a chef builds a recipe for the first time, he's doing it from thinking about raw ingredients and developing that into a dish. Meanwhile, cooks generally follow recipes or modify existing recipes. So like a chef might invent pizza or invent a burger, and but a cook created barbecue chicken pizza. And what they've really done is where a chef has come up with the inspiration to develop something new, something different, while the cook kind of just makes that modification. They take something that's already there and they say, hmm, what if I tweak it a little bit? What if I change it and make it a little better? I like pizza, but I think, and I also like chicken, let's kind of combine them together and make something just slightly different. But it's not really thinking from what are the best ways to combine these base ingredients? Um... And this is kind of critical for understanding how we should do investing. You see, most investors are cooks. You know, if you want to be a great investor, though, you have to be a chef. You know, a cook investor might develop their value of a company based upon, you know, analyst reports or analogy to other companies. But, But only a chef can look at each company from scratch. You know, you use those first principles that they have at their disposal and they determine independently the value of a company. That's your goal. Um, what our mission is in investors is to really dive deep. Think about the first principles. What is the drivers of a company's profitability? What is the driver of profitability in general? And can this company be profitable? Can this be a good investment? 
And the only way to do that is to really know what those first principles are and how to apply them. And that's what I want to teach you. Because if you base your investment decisions like how a cook investor might develop one, where they say, okay, well, the an analyst projects that the company is going to earn $5 per share next year. And another analyst projects $5.50 per share. And another analyst projects $3 per share. Those are very different. And everyone's come up with their own number. And if you just say, oh, well, we can just use you know, the median, it's five, you know, $4.75 per share. That doesn't really help you. You're not really using a deep understanding of how that company makes money. And so when those analyst reports are wrong, because they will be wrong and no one's ever perfect with their um, assessments, it's very easy to lose confidence in the decision that you've made. So if you buy a company because an analyst has recommended it, or it's a buy rating on Morningstar, or you saw something on CNBC, and the stock price drops by 50%, how likely are you going to hold? How confident are you that your assessment is correct when you base your assessment on what other people have said about it? The key is, is that you need to understand deep down why the company that you're buying makes money and why they will continue to make that money in the future. And that requires an understanding of both how investments earn you money as an investor, but also how businesses make money as a business. You need to understand both sides, the the formula for investment success and the formula for business success. That's why I talk about both business management principles and investment management, because the two are intimately linked in order for you to be successful as an investor. You see, you can still be a successful investor and build wealth while being only a cook. That's fine, and there are numerous strategies to help you do so. And everything I'll be discussing in future episodes on this topic will continue to be helpful to you. Yet, it's only those who really take these first principles to heart that will truly be the best investors. Because it's that ability to understand how things work that gives you the confidence to hold on when the market goes against you and when the market shows you something that you didn't expect. And that's what I'm trying to prepare you for. So another way to think about this, and this is the Farnham Street analogy, is really a coach versus a play stealer. Basically, the idea is in sports, you have a lot of coaches, a lot of people who are called coaches, but that they aren't truly a coach. Some people just steal plays. Um, you know, And basically, you know, if you think about football, the rules of football are, you know, there's a rule book, and those are the first principles. You know, if you follow the rule book and you don't do anything against what the rule book says, you're allowed to do whatever you want. And so a coach might take the rule book and decide, I'm going to put players over here. I'm going to have them throw the ball this way. I'm going to have them run around and do this. And they'll create new plays from scratch because it's based upon a concept built solely from the rules of the game. It says that this is an allowable thing to do. And then they will test it and see if it works and keep trying until they create something that's great. Meanwhile, a play stealer works different. So they're going to work off what's already been done. They might say that, you know, the spread offense has been successful. So why don't I tweak the spread? I'm going to have, you know, players go a little bit further out. I'm going to have players um, play the game faster. And, but they've started with something that they've seen as successful instead of starting from, hey, what am I allowed to do? And what can I really do to be, to make, to be better? And if you start from the rules of the game, if you start from that base understanding, you have a much better under, 
ability to be flexible when things don't go the right way. You see, because someone who is a coach will understand when their plays go right, why they went right. And they'll understand when their plays go wrong, why they went wrong. But someone who stole a play from another person, from another coach, won't understand why they're successful or why they fail because they don't understand the underlying reasons for the success of that system. And that's really the key difference between those two types of people. So what we want to be is we want to be the coach in our investments. We want to understand why we're successful when we're successful. And if we fail, we need to understand why we failed. And so that's why I encourage people to look back when they have investments completed to really do an assessment Was it successful? Was it a failure? Why was it successful? Why did it fail? And really take a second look and use hindsight 2020 to really understand what went wrong or what went right. So let's dive quickly in here towards the end to really address the strategy um, of how we bring first principles to investing. So so the first step, you have a really three-step process is your first step is to develop an investment plan based upon first principles. So what are the things that makes an investor successful? And let's use those and create an investment plan from scratch. We're talking, you know, ignore um, what convention says, ignore what the market says is the correct way to do things. And let's just figure out what the first principles are and develop an investment plan based upon that. And the second piece is really, The second step is to really adjust the plan and its conclusions as new information or data is learned. So you want to add new first principles when you discover them. And when you get new information, you want to adjust old first principles that might have been wrong. You want to do this because if your investment plan is based upon those first principles, then you need to understand that if those principles turn out to be wrong, that anything you decided based upon them is also possibly wrong. And so you really need to take that under step, okay, well, we're going to develop this plan, but then you need to adjust it as new information comes along. And finally, your third step is to invest accordingly. So one of the keys is that, you know, no plan is going to be 100% perfect. So you need to invest according to your plan and then repeat these steps as necessary to adjust it to become more successful. You're only going to learn more by investing your money. You're never going to be able to develop a perfect plan before you start investing. So don't let having a perfect plan be a hindrance or not having a perfect plan be a hindrance to starting to invest and start to be successful. Because one of the keys is compounding. And we'll address this later about how important compounding is to being successful in finance, personal finance and investing. But you need to get started early because starting earlier is only going to help you. So I'm going to end just talking about focus areas. Um, And this is really to understand how to think about first principles and and just some areas of that I'm going to talk about when I'm walking through them individually. And the first one is evidence. So your first principles are based upon not having an underlying assumption. So you need evidence that backs these things up. So why is it that what you say is true? Where is the evidence? What is the data that backs this up? Because it needs to be backed up by data and observation and not by an underlying assumption. You shouldn't need to ask why something is 
and respond with another assumption. Your why needs to be, this is the data that proves it. This is the data. And so this is the reason that this works. And so the alternative side of that is falsification. So this is your second focus area is you're trying to falsify your assumptions, your first principles as much as possible, because it's easy to, to make the trap of confirmation bias where all you do is accumulate evidence for why you're right and you don't accumulate evidence for why you might be wrong. So what you really need to do once you have a first principle is do everything you can to prove it wrong because the harder you work to prove something wrong and the more you fail at proving something wrong, the easier it is to be confident in what you know. And so what you really want to do more than anything is find evidence that proves yourself wrong because if you do so, you're only going to become a more successful investor and a more successful um, person in life with more wisdom by being able to prove a lot of things wrong. So really your goal is to prove as many things wrong that you think as possible. It's going to be hard. It's going to be tough. But by doing so, you're going to be more successful in the long run. So the third piece, and it kind of ties in with falsification, is to think about alternate perspectives. So you have a perspective on things um, developed from your history, from how you grew up, from how you were raised. And you need to consider other people's perspectives. If there's someone that doesn't agree with you, reach out to them. Seek their reasoning for why they're correct and you might be wrong. And then you need to work with them to try and prove either them wrong or to prove yourself wrong. It's okay if you are incorrect in your initial understanding. And proving yourself wrong should be just as much a success as proving someone else wrong. Because your end goal is to just be smarter at the end of the day and have a better understanding at the end of the day. Your goal is not to know everything right now. And finally, your fourth focus area is seek a lower level principle. So if there's something you understand, if you can ask a why question and end up at a lower level with a lower assumption, move, try and seek to always lo- go lower on those first principles because your first principles are your building blocks. They're everything that you build your thought processes around and you need to have strong building blocks. The key is though, building blocks begin at the bottom. And if you're starting in the middle, you're not going to have a successful building. You're not going to have a successful thought process, and you're not going to be successful investing. So you need to really seek the low level, the basics, the fundamental understandings of personal finance, investing, and life in order to be successful using first principles. So again, what we're trying to do is we need to have an accurate assessment of how investing works. Everything is trying to seek the truth. Everything is trying to seek accuracy. And we're not focused on anything else but understanding because you need to have an accurate assessment of potential returns for your investments. You need to have an accurate assessment of investment risks. And those are the sorts of things that allow you to make decisions. Um, that end up being successful. So it's quite possible that what conventional wisdom has accepted as risky is not truly risky. And what conventional wisdom says will be successful is not truly going to be successful. And my goal for you is to really think in terms of what is going to make you successful. And you want to have an accurate understanding of that. I don't have all the answers, but I hope that through this journey, we can both learn more together. 
Anyway, so thank you very much for taking the time to listen to me today. If you want to find out more, you can listen to further episodes. Please subscribe to this podcast and you'll be able to get more and more information from what I'm discussing. And also consider leaving me a comment or review because that'll help me have a better understanding of how I can better serve you in the future. You can find out more information about myself and other aspects of investing at my blog, DIYinvesting.org. And you can find out, you can get the notes and outline for this podcast at DIYinvesting.org slash episode nine. That's DIYinvesting.org slash episode nine. Thank you very much. And I look forward to talking with you again in the future. Listening to the DIY Investing Podcast. Please visit our website and subscribe to our email list at DIYinvesting.org for guides, videos, and resources to help make you a better investor. The DIY Investing Podcast is presented for general informational and entertainment purposes only. I have not considered your specific situation or risk profile, and I have not provided investment advice. The information presented on the DIY Investing Podcast should not be construed as investment advice. The views and opinions expressed on the DIY Investing Podcast are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect those of the show's host or sponsors. DIY Investing, its producers, sponsors, and host, Trey Henniger, shall not be liable for losses resulting from investment decisions based upon information or viewpoints presented on the DIY Investing Podcast.